in this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, how to build an AppSec pipeline. Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to build an AppSec pipeline. Joining me today to help answer this question is Matt Tesaro, Senior AppSec Engineer at Dual Security, and Aaron Weaver, AppSec Pipeline Co-Leader. Matt and Aaron, how are you? Doing well. Doing good tonight. Cool. So let's start with the very basic. What is, an, what is and this is from OWASP, um, I guess we should mention that to kick it off, but what is the OWASP AppSec Pipeline? Um, well, Aaron, I'll, I'll take this, and if you want to chime in, chime in. Um, when you want to. The, Aaron and I at one point in time in our careers worked together and, and we were sort of trying to figure out the best way to uh, extend the limited number of people we had in our AppSec team. And also we noticed that OWASP had a ton of good resources, but they weren't necessarily gathered together in a way to help people running AppSec programs. A lot of it was good if you were a you know a pen tester, if you were a developer, but if you're running a team, there wasn't necessarily a great one-stop one -stop shop those things. Um, and so in answering like how best to add and augment, add automation and augment our team, we kind of came up with this AppSec pipeline idea and created the OWASP project around it. And the, the basic idea is if you think about a pipeline in a software sense, you want to build, and you take in inputs, you do some work, you build an artifact that's a, you know, hopefully a running app. Um, for us, an AppSec pipeline you take in some inputs, you do some work, and you have findings that come out the other end. So this is really sort of being inspired in a little bit of a thievery of the ideas of CI/CD and build automation, but using it to make an AppSec program go faster. So this is kind of like a framework then? It is It is that. Um, it, right, the early version of the project was much more about just sort of thinking through what the different phases are, what the steps are, and how to actually... Um, think through the process because one of the things that's interesting about an AppSec pipeline is what works at my company won't work at your company and won't work at somebody else's company because it has to sort of be tailored to how you do dev and every place has their own little spin on that. Um, so we wanted to sort of come up, start with a high level framework of how to conceptually think about it. And now Aaron and I are working on actual concrete implementations of uh, how to actually make this stuff work at scale and at speed. Yeah, I mean, because one of the things that, that every organization I've been in, um, there are two not enough application security engineers. I mean, I've never been at a place that said, we just have so many application security people, we just don't know what to do with ourselves. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so, and then you look at it, well, what are we spending our time on? And I know Matt and I spent a lot of time just thinking about, well, what, what are we doing? And, and, and what time are we spending? And, and if we looked at it, you know, there's tool configuration, there's these same workflow processes that are repeated. And is there a way where we can cut that down and actually have the, you know, put, push that into our pipeline, so to speak, so that that information can be there ahead of time. And then when we get ready to do the assessment or we're going to integrate it into our CICD pipeline, that's all there. And we've, we have a fairly well-defined steps that have to happen. So for certain applications, these are the things and these are the tools that have to run. And then if that information is already there, that means that I don't have to go and set that up. That means I don't have to go and do all that work. And it's already done for me because I know that in every organization I've been in, I spend a lot of time 
just doing these manual sorts of things and you're like, wait a second here, we can automate a lot of this. And then, and then we'll, maybe we'll talk about this later, but I'm also looking at tools that say they're DevOps friendly and they're really not. And Matt and I go back and forth on this quite a bit where we're like, how are you actually supposed to really make that happen in true life, in real life? <laughs> so I have a couple places to go with this. Uh, I want to start with um, what you guys said about, you know, it's kind of built for each organization because I remember when I started looking at it and going, oh, this is a, this is a cool OWASP project. It, it just looking at some of the diagrams and stuff on the OWASP page, it felt a little intimidating and maybe like it, it was at like an enterprise level. But it sounds like this is something that just about anybody can use to to implement within their organization. Yep, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, it, it's you, you probably get better ROI if you have a bunch of people, just because there's a bunch more people automated. But in mm-hmm. actually doing the work, you can do it as a one man shop. I mean, I, I wish I had this thinking when I was a one man appsec place. That would have been nice. Right. And as I started digging into it, I just felt like it was kind of like, okay, well, well, you can use like you gave a couple examples, uh, but it it really felt like it was, you know, just kind of throwing ideas out there for people to kind of take pieces here and there. Yeah, some of it was an idea of having sort of an a la carte menu of uh, practices and ideas and concepts so that you could tailor it to fit your work. Because I even I've done trainings on this. And I've had people say, well, in your training, you say use X. You know, in our training, we use this one thing to do this one part of the pipeline. But at my business, we have this other thing that is functionally the same. Can I use that? And I'm like, well, hell yeah. (laughs) Please, you know, use the heck out of it because, like, it doesn't – it's less about the tool and more about making the process smooth and understanding how things work at your business so you can tailor this to smoothly fit into your business and not be this weird external process. So is is a is a CI/CD a the must-have for for the pipeline? I would say, I mean, it's definitely if your organization is is doing CI/CD, yes, I would say that that would be connected to your AppSec pipeline, but it doesn't have to be. And when when we talk about it, there's actually really two pipelines. So there's really organizing the way that you work and your application security group. And then there's the external interactions into your pipeline. So you can have well-defined processes set up in your pipeline that then your CICD pipeline calls into, and it runs these sets of tests, gives the CICD you know, either a pass or a fail, or here are the things that I found that were good, and here's the things that you need to work on. Um, so there's, there's really two components to it. Yeah, and when we first started doing this, um... We started really small. We, we came up with a place to, to sort of store and, and manage all the, the vulnerabilities we found at, that we call a vulnerability repository. Generally, uh, we use Defect Dojo for that. Um, and then we also put on the front end a way to manage intake. So some way to say we're going to have requests coming into our AppSec team to you know, look at AppX or look at a code review or do whatever. We need a way to manage those. So we started really small with basically picking some place to dump the vulnerabilities and picking a way to manage incoming requests. And then we just kept building. And that's probably, it's, it's one of the things that makes this an interesting concept to talk about it at conferences or whatnot, because you see the pretty diagram and you think, gosh, that's gotta be hard. But like we started 
with nothing and just kept iterating slowly and over the course of three to six months had a nice pipeline. So it's when you're really building it, you can start very small and just start shaving off rough edges until you get the final thing. Because a lot of teams, they have to still be air quotes, you know, security productive, find things, review apps and do, you know, air quotes security work. Um, And what we did is carve out time to not necessarily do actual air quote security work, but to do work that made our work faster. So kind of going meta. Right, right. You, you're, you know, that's almost the theme of the project to me is that you're just trying to squeeze as much out of uh, the people running the AppSec program because there's not a lot of them. Yeah, I've never had too many. I don't think anybody, every time I talk at a conference, I ask, like, please raise your hand if you have too many people in your AppSec program. And, you know, shockingly, nobody raises their hand. Right. And I think the numbers I've heard you throwing out is what, like 100, to, 100 developers to one AppSec person. That's the average. Um, when Aaron and I were working together, we had, what was it, like twelve to 1,500 developers? Uh, it was something like that. It was probably a little more. And the organization that I'm at has over 100, and I'm the only, well, now we have another one, but <laughs> it's that same ratio. Yeah, and we had, what, eight, I think, at the peak mm-hmm. when Aaron and I were working together. So, yeah, it's the numbers are always not in your favor in a severe sort of way. Have you have you heard from people that are doing this as like the AppSec isn't their sole responsibility? I've heard like, from some people like at conferences and it kind of depends. Like AppSec is a funny beast because I've worked at AppSec teams where you kind of had everything from the the infrastructure that the product was running on all the way up through the 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 dev and the all of the uh, software side of things and the hardware and kind of the whole shebang, like it was anything security issue to get this product out the door and in front of customers. And then I've had I've had teams that I've worked on where if it's not on port 80 or 443, i.e., you know, a web thing, it's out of scope. So the infrastructure and that thing doesn't count. That's somebody else's problem. I was gonna say we have had some interest where and and this is another pipeline that we're that, that I've been sort of playing around with is on malware or investigation. So where you chain together uh, several tools that you go through. In fact, one of the people in my organization, I'm saying, I asked them, can you can you just write down exactly what you do for an investigation in that workflow? Because it's going to be, okay, let's, let me look up that IP address. Is it suspicious? Um, let me look up the executable hashes and those kinds of things. And that's all very well defined. Um, and then it comes, you know, you have a series of these inputs and then they come to the output in your, your uh, report at the end. And that usually doesn't change, and we could easily make that a pipeline. So that's maybe another maybe outside of application security that I've seen. Yeah, and we, we had even when we were getting this up and running, um, when Aaron and I worked together, we had external teams like the team that ran the WAF wanting to know what vulnerabilities we had found so that they could potentially write signatures for them. So here's a place where it wasn't really part of the AppSec team, but because we had gathered all the stuff together and had it shareable, it had a REST API in front of it. The um, WAF team could actually go and pull things out and know that AppX has these vulnerabilities and potentially write signatures for it. Yeah, I could see. And, and, and I think that just goes back to, you know, this caters to your organization. Are you seeing any developers taking this and kind of just running with it on their own? It's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I... 
I don't know that I've seen developers take it and run with their own. What I have seen is developers really appreciate the sort of uh, change in positioning that you can do if you do have this automation in place. So, for instance, one of the things that, that when Aaron and I worked together, we had set up was a, a chat bot that you could say, hey, set up static analysis for this app at this Git URL, go. And it would it would take that information, go set up all that needed to in the different places where the, that, that stuff was tracked, and also go to the static analysis tool and set up uh, automatic reoccurring weekly scans. Um, and what this did is it gave the developers sort of quick and easy early access to static results to where we could say, look, we're going to start looking at your stuff on day, you know, whatever, 10, 15, some early time in the development lifecycle. But until you're ready to push to prod, we don't necessarily really care what this tool is finding, but just know at some point there's going to be, you know, an inflection point where we're going to say, now we got to get real. Like you've had so many sprints with these security findings that the static analysis tool has got. You can pick when you want to do them, just as long as when we're ready to go to production, you have addressed them or let us know why there there are or aren't an actual issue. And it sort of changes it from the the I remember the the quote unquote battle days not all that long ago, where you know hey we're all completely done with the app, we got a week of like mad testing and the thing's going to go out on Friday, and if you find a really hairy issue like it doesn't make anybody's day, and so with this kind of automation you can get ahead of that game and sort of proactively look at things. One of the other interesting things we've done with the automation is also do kind of a, Aaron coined the idea of like a health check. These small little tests that, that don't take much time and are highly reliable that you can just run all the time. And no, wait a minute, I'm starting to get drift. Like, wait a minute, this SSL cert, for some reason is no longer supporting TLS 1.2. What happened? Some configuration change happened. Right? And you now can like proactively find these things instead of waiting until a release or some sort of event. Yeah, I think it's all about making security tools usable. And if you've ever spent any time trying to configure some of these older dynamic scanners to make them scan, you spend a lot of time doing that and you don't get favorable results. And the whole goal of the AppSec pipeline is to make things simple to use, repeatable. It's not going to be perfect but we're going to run these tests. They're going to be fast. And it's not going to require developers to, to configure all these different kinds of things. Because um, tool configuration, trying to get these things up and running, I think has been one of the biggest hurdles for security tool adoption. That and the false positives that come out of these tools. Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to ask about the false positives. Is this is this something that the, the AppSec person is then going through and, and figuring out what's an issue and what's not an issue? So we run them, and especially when I start out, I run them baseline it, see what the app looks like. And you know from certain tools that they're going to have certain false, false positives. You know, certain categories, this tool, some tools just don't do very well at, and those we just pull out. Um, once we do the initial review, um, then we can start marking things as false positive. And then so when, when we put them into our collector system, or I know you've had uh, Greg on in a prior episode with Defect Dojo, uh, we we get it to the endpoint. We can filter we can filter those, and then those issues never come up again. And then when we're running new ones, it's just it's just to see what the new new ones are. So we're already getting into a more tuned state. Doesn't mean that we've eliminated false positives all you know completely, 
but we've really lowered them because the tools are tuned where they, at least we think they should be. Does that mean that there's going to be some false negatives? Yeah, it's going to happen. But I think there's a trade-off that you have to do if you want to do security you know, in a more agile and fast fashion. There's some certain trade-offs that you're going to have to do. And maybe you hit that back up by doing a more rigorous you know, assessment at some point in time, which actually we were just talking about before this call. And one of the other things I think that's important uh, about a, an AppSec pipeline and running one really internally for the AppSec team is that I've seen people want to automate tools and then ship the things, say, directly to Jira, which is not a bad idea. Um, but I really like the idea of before you ship them to Jira, putting them into a, a sort of a repository that you own and control as an AppSec team. And that's where you have that second sort of ability to filter and send things off to the dev teams in a way that makes sense. Because maybe your tool found three findings, but really the fix is in one place. You really just need one bug with three sort of instances of that bug. So if you have a vulnerability repository like Defect Dojo, you can bundle those together and ship them as one finding, as opposed to submitting three bugs into Jira or whatever your bug tracking system is. So I, I, you're, you're never going to get away from the false positives. Um, but if you, A, Take the time, like Aaron was saying, to tune the tool. Usually, about three times round, is you'll get a decent profile to where you're you're content with the uh, false positive rate. And then B, you put them into a vulnerability repository that the app team owns. You get the opportunity to do any kind of clustering or filtering there before you ship them on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, that, I love Defect Dojo. That's that's a really great tool and um, something that. You know, like you said, you can dump dump you can dump multiple tool reports in there and then dedupe and also start marking stuff as non-issues or as issues. And then it's what's great about it is that it's got a it integrates with Jira and some of the others. So it then you can like automatically uh, create tickets based on that. Yeah, and like one of the things that I'm looking at currently is the ability to take development branches of a, a you know, a product, let's say. And as the development branch is being built, as long as my, um, you know, sort of pipeline loading code understands how we do branching, I can pre-run tools against that branch as they're doing dev sprints. And as they're working, give them results. At least with SA, like static analysis tools, right? Those don't need a, a running code. So before they even do a merge commit, I can give them a, a, a sort of a smell test of their code that they have in a branch before you even try to do a merge and move on to actually getting into a product. Okay. So what is the collaboration between the AppSec folks and the developers? Like, well, what's that like? Or what needs to be done to start implementing an AppSec pipeline? For my money, the first order of business is sort of getting your house in order. So making sure that just your internal team understand things. If, if we're going to assume that that's in place, like you have a pretty good work process of how you take in things, how you handle them, how the testing happens, what your different test types are, all that kind of thing. If you have that in place, then you really are in a good place to reach out to those external teams and provide value. Um, initially, uh, what I like to do or, or have seen done is is finding out teams that are doing CICD if you have that around, and then slowly adding in tests to their CICD um, pipeline, the actual development pipeline. Now, the real crucial thing is that, A, those things have to be 
exceptionally low false positive rates, or B, they have to be non-breaking, right? There's nothing to say I can't drop a test that runs in your pipeline and just shoves the results to say defect dojo, but doesn't actually break the build. Because at least every time you're building, I'm getting some kind of visibility into the, the security state of that piece of software, even if I'm not necessarily stopping it. Um, and that's one of the things I found out when I worked at Rackspace. If you have really quick moving teams, it can feel kind of scary. But the upside of that is if I find a problem, it also gets fixed really quick, right? If you're doing pushes every other day or every day to production, if I find an issue and the issue isn't that hard to fix code-wise, that thing can get out the door in a couple of days. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially with like the smaller bits of code that, that they're you know producing on a regular basis. It actually, I see it as an advantage for security for fixing some of these issues. Yeah, it, it took me a while to come to that, but I absolutely believe that. Like, the, if you can make these things, like a push to production should just be a Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. who gives a crap kind of an event. <laughs> you know, and I've been at places where it was like, everybody hold on to your hats, you know, it's going to get wild, we're pushing to production. And that's not a place you want to be. All right. All right, so what resources are available for learning more about the OWASP AppSec pipeline and, and how to how to implement it? Well, so certainly I would say that um, on the OWASP site, we have our AppSec pipeline. Um, we, we have targeted um, to add some more um, just general knowledge information. Um, the other thing that we're doing is we're working on some actual reference implementations. So, um, you know, Matt and I have been working on in Jenkins where you can, you know, by stating um, these are, this is my build pipeline. Here are, here's where I can easily add tools in that. Um, and then they're starting up Dockers, and these Dockers have security tools in them that then run the tool uh, based on a profile that you have set up. Um, and that runs within Jenkins, or you can run it natively in Docker. So we'll have these implementations available um, starting early next year in January is our target. Right now, we're just doing a closed beta test of that. Um, but that's where you could start. And certainly, if anyone's interested in joining the project or um, contributing, we're always open to uh, more people to jump in or even give us their reference implementation on how the pipeline has worked in their organization. Yeah, we definitely love hearing stories about how people have sort of taken this idea and, and morphed it to fit their world. Um, and I think, you know, finally, Aaron and I have to sort of doing this a couple of times and, and understanding, uh, getting a really better understanding of the whole problem space. The, the concept we're working on now that he was talking about to, to sort of be live in January uh, using Docker is really fantastic because you're sort of taking another, another potential sharp edge off of the, uh, the problem of testing, which is like setting up and configuring these tools. Um, I, I've, in a, well, I have also run an OWASP project called OWASP WTE, the web testing environment, which was a, started out as ISO images, became VMs and Debian packages of useful AppSec tools, and having packaged and tried to make installable in a repeatable fashion some of the tools uh, my security brethren and sister in write, um, we're not really good at that. In fact, we're really horrific at that. And some of those tools are quite the pain to get up and running. So taking that pain of getting that thing reliably running and dockerifying that so that that pain happens once and then it's just rinse and repeat is a huge benefit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And make sure you're securing your Docker containers too. Yes. <laughs> well, the nice thing is actually in, in the model we're working through, they're very ephemeral. 
you launch a Docker, you run it against, you run the tool against a target, and then you destroy the Docker, and it's done. Oh, okay. They're not long lived. They're only live. They only live long enough to um, run the test and then gone. Because if I want to paralyze that, then I can say fire fifteen Zap Docker's and simultaneously test fifteen, you know, URLs or web apps or whatever I'm doing. Right. Right. One fifteen. It doesn't matter. It's just another Docker instance being fired up. I'll be. I'll be interested to see how. Uh... Uh, how that all comes out and kind of digging more into that. That's really interesting. It's been, it's been a blast actually doing this, this latest round of, cause we for a long time had to sort of really understand the problem space. And now that we have, we're being able to get sort of our hands dirty, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been great. Well, that's good. Docker's great too. I'm really, I'm starting to dive into it a little bit more and it's really, it's a really interesting space. I'm a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? Um, we do have a, a, a reasonably okay site. It needs a little bit of TLC at appsecpipeline.org. Um, and the idea with that website was to, uh, at least the initial idea, and we'll, we're going to give this another rev actually after um, probably in January also, was to gather up useful tools that you could put into an AppSec pipeline um, and just display them almost menu style, right? If you have some, if you need to do testing, what are things that are a useful and b automatable? Um, or if you're taking intake, what's different ways you can do intake? What's different ways you can do orchestration? What's different ways um, you can store those results in a re- vulnerability repository? And kind of gathering that information up and displaying it so that you have a, a menu of uh, options. And the way we did it was uh, it's just markdown in a GitHub URL or a GitHub repo rather that gets auto read um, commits and then published out to a website. All right. So what would you guys like to plug? I think we've already plugged our project. That's the biggest thing for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys do have Twitter accounts. So you get you some more Twitter followers. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to hear. I mean, yeah, I can, uh, I can plug my Twitter. That's fine. Like, I don't know how we do this in an audio thing. Do I spell it out? Uh, yeah, no, you could just say, yeah, at Matt underscore Tassaro, and I'll spell it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at Matt, not Smith. Um, and what, what I have to plug, um, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. That's at Matt, M A T T underscore T E S A U R O, Matt Tassaro. And uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at uh, Weaver A. That was much easier than Matt's. Yes. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) That'll all be in the show notes, too. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you for joining me to discuss the OWASP AppSec pipeline. Yeah. Thank you for having us. That will do it. Hopefully, you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.